Welcome everybody to the PropTech Talk podcast where we dress down and expose everything from PropTech to property, identifying controversial topics and real life scenarios. If you're looking for something comfortable, this podcast is not for you. Welcome to PropTech episode 6 where we'll be talking about flexible office space. For those users out there who don't know who we are, we are PropTech Talk. And we talk about everything that's PropTech and property. In our last episodes, we've been speaking about real estate agents, speaking about the PropTech cycle and startups. So in this episode, we'll be looking at the shared economy and smart building side of the PropTech spheres and looking at how office space is going to be changing things up in the future, what it was like in the past and currently where it is at. PropTech Talk is an independent organization where we talk about everything to do with the South African real estate market and look at how the international global spheres um, impact us. So um, hang on for this conversation is going to be uh, the introduction to office space. And going on from this, we're going to be looking at specific topics that we pull from this conversation. If you haven't already seen our website, you can uh, follow us on on uh, Instagram, our handle is PropTechTalk, and our website is www.proptechtalk.com. And with us today is uh, Mike. If you haven't listened to our other episodes, uh, Mike Savides. He's uh, part of the PropTechTalk team. What's up, Mike? What's up, guys? Good to be back on. Excited for this topic this week. Yeah, this topic is uh, is going to be a very interesting one going forward. And we're going to be pulling in our other teammates from PropTech Talk. We're going to add their specific skills, um, you know, regarding not just the building and the management side of things, but also the financial implication of what flexible office space means to REITs and private organizations. So to kick off this conversation, just a little bit of a background of what shared office space really means. I touched on the two points, the one was shared economy and the one is smart building. So shared economy, good example, Uber. Shared economy, it's, it's pulling together the two needs uh, with uh, one, one um, mediator in the middle. So one of the easy ways to see how it, do, how it works in the property industry is WeWork. WeWork is a shared uh, office space that uses the shared economy. There's also smart buildings that are an added benefit, arguably, and we'll touch on that in a bit, which uses technology to drive the usage between the different people. So what I'm going to try doing this um, conversation is discuss these uh, issues and topics and see what it's like from Mike's perspective from South Africa, but also where he is now in America and how that is changing because we can, we see that there's a little bit of a difference between the American market, South African market with the likelihood of the South African market going towards where the American market is one day, who knows, especially with this COVID thing. So the first point I'd like to make is, well, first question, should I say, is shared economy good for the industry or shared office space, should I say? And I need to do certain things in a culture, right? Cultural aspects are not just about what we say, um, how we say them, it's about where we are, 
It's about how we live, right? So yeah. how do you maintain the cultural aspect side of things? So it's very difficult. To me, it's, it's been made too simplistic. And I worry about it when people make things too simplistic. It's because it's maybe something that they're trying to sell to you. But having said that, on the other side of the coin, are the traditional modes of office spaces and uh, working in offices a little bit too old-fashioned? So isn't there this nice medium that can be reached in between? You know, the WeWork model is about foot traffic through the door, which is clever on paper because it's like, I'm not limited to the rate per square, which is generally how or square foot, square meterage, depending what country you're from, in South Africa, square meterage. Um, I'm, I'm not limited by that. I'm actually limited by the amount of people that can walk through my door. So that's a higher capacity than rate per square, right? But it's, it's not the same as, you know, what I'm trying to say is not the, the working of an office. It's not about how many people. It's about the group of people that are there. Yeah, so I think this is a very diverse and somewhat complex topic because it's, I wouldn't even call it twofold, threefold, fourfold. And what I mean by that is when you look at the, the landlords themselves, they, especially in South Africa, by, by issue of the government, their office spaces, they need to keep to a minimum of 30% occupancy, right? So even if staff want to come in, they cannot come in all at once which I think a lot of companies are, it's the wheels are starting to turn. Well, how long is this going to be going on for? And we might as well just reduce our office size and start talking and uh, introducing the changes that I spoke about uh, just now. But what I'd also say is a lot of companies that, like you said, how do you create a culture or maintain a culture if you're not working in the office space? And Simon Sinek, the, the author of the book that uh, goes Start With The Why, he has been running his business, I think, for 10, 15 years virtually. And he's managed to maintain uh, some form of a, a corporate cult or company culture by doing that. And he spoke about how individuals and companies will need to adapt, obviously, because of COVID. But I think it has a direct impact on the office spaces going forward, because a lot of companies need to be thinking this way. And even when you look at the likes of WeWork and these open office spaces, like you said, is this really as beneficial as people make it out to be? But then again, for me, the, the shared office spaces like the WeWork, like the spaces, like peer space here in the US, it suits smaller, small to medium companies and the startups. But if you have these large uh, global organizations that have three, 400, a few thousand people in an office, what do you do with these people? And so what, what, what I think about is in South Africa, if you look at the new discovery or the Sassel building, they built these massive um, co corporate buildings that could house 2,000 people. How have they been impacted now? What is their, their, their next move? Do they start divert, dividing these office spaces to segregate people to keep it a bit safer? But then you, you start thinking, what are these landlords going to be doing or thinking of alternatives, because if they just resting on their, their, their laurels and hoping their old business models is going to work, they're going to fail, and I, that's what I believe. So then you start doing research and you start seeing what other property funds are doing globally, and some of them are looking towards promoting these cloud kitchens, where people can have a cloud kitchen, which what, is, what essentially a cloud kitchen is, is you can run a restaurant business without actually having the brick and mortar store and just do deliveries. And a lot of companies that 
that or the properties that in retail centers that perhaps had like a, a gap or in the dealer store selling clothes that are closing down now because of COVID are turning these things into cloud kitchens and it seems to be working. Another thing that I've, I've seen, I've noticed is the utilization of parking lots with um, urban farming. That's, that's, that seems to be a, uh, on the rise now, especially in, in Johannesburg, some um, shopping centers and corporate buildings are looking at this to help generate an additional source of revenue. So I, I think people need to be mindful of these things. And if you, a lot of people that are naive to think that things are to go back to normal, those are the ones that will fall behind. Yeah, and it, it's really tough because what do you do if you have a whole bunch of office parks, right? How do you, it's something that I don't know how uh, companies are going to manage this. There's some that will repurpose them for residential zoning and, you know, start selling them as flats or whatever it is. But how much of that can you do? So it's, got, it's going to be quite a rude awakening in the office space uh, sector. So, you know, and I also want to bring in a point on the South African market that, that a lot of research has spoken about a lot, especially in developed, uh, developing markets. So shared economy and smart building are being touted as the, the saviors of the, the economy, right? But there's, there's, a, there's an argument, and I don't have the author's name at hand right now, but I will put it on our post when you go into our website. And they say that actually the argument is that shared economy and smart buildings can grow the divide between those that are on the on the poverty line and those that are wealthy will just grow further and further apart and the reason is to enter into the shared economy um, spheres and to get into the smart building side of things and smart building just to clarify is not just about the building it's about the management and about using technology to interact between uh, different people it can be between the customers between the users right it actually makes you more elevated at a certain level so on a south african perspective how is it make how is this kind of direction where you're growing the divide going to help us is there going to be something where we make things worse by following these dreams if that makes sense yeah i mean it's a, it's a tough question to answer, but what I would add to that is talking about this 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 ever increasing or exponential growth between, like you've mentioned, the rich and the poor. Is this going to add to that and continue that divide? But what what I think, and that's obviously keeping in mind how the, all the solutions that the property owners and the landlords are going to put in place, that that will have a, a knock-on effect. But what I think might actually happen, especially with these flexible working spaces, if you look at companies like Peerspace that allow people to rent any kind of space on their platform. So if you have a loft apartment and you want to rent it out for a creative to use or photographer or for a film person, I think a lot of people that were previously renting office spaces from these, these property funds will now start looking for alternatives, cheaper alternatives for, for spaces in which they can utilize for their whatever work they're trying to do. So my point is that I think a lot of property funds will come under a lot of pressure now because now you're going to have external people that aren't, much like Airbnb, where people will be renting out their, their, 
their personal spaces now, their homes or, I mean, I've even seen people on peer space renting their back gardens for people to rent out for a wedding. And you can imagine the, the cost difference between having a wedding at a proper venue or at someone's home. So my point is that a lot of these, these, these guys that have a stronghold in the property industry might be surprised of, of what extensions and innovations that are going to come outside of that to impact them. So I think the next, the next couple of years, we will see a significant shift in the way properties are used, not only because of COVID, also just because of the way com the company dynamics are working now. A lot of companies can uh, work virtually. With ParkUp, we ran the company virtually for three years without a, a brick and mortar office space. So it can be done. And I just think with the, the advent of technology now, it's going to increase exponentially. So what I would like to investigate going forward is how, what is the correlation between this new way of office space, this new shared office space, flexible office space, and the increase of entrepreneurial organizations. Like you've just said, you've mentioned park-ups run from no office space, really. Yeah. So is there going to be this influx of entrepreneurs because the ability to do it now is so much easier from home or from limited office space use. And how does that help or how will that impact their growth, right? Because we haven't seen, there's obviously a couple of companies, you just mentioned someone who's done it, but you know, you start off as an entrepreneur and it works for you. But once you hit a certain number of people and a certain number of turnovers, so how will then you go from being able to do it on this level and then scaling up, but keeping it, you know, what I'm trying to say, are you going to then rent space because it doesn't work for you anymore in the current way? Or are we going to see a more advanced level of shared economy? Or is this uh, office space, futuristic office space enough to allow for you to, to go through the growing, uh, the, the growth cycles of an industry? Yeah, so I think, like you said, it depends on the size of the organization. Like if a startup has four or five people, I think it can be done virtually. Then when you start hiring people and you start trying to create a culture, I do believe you need to have an office space where, because I mean, even the, the dynamics of an office will shape the culture of an organization, right? So as, as companies start to grow, they'll be looking for flexible spaces in which they can utilize for meetings or client meetings or team meetings. So I think that's where the ever increasing need of flexible spaces will, will come, come about. But I also do think, and a lot of the conversations we have in now is we thinking that COVID's going to be around for two, three years, whatever the case is. I mean, it's obviously debatable, but what if all of a sudden they find it, they find a vaccine now, everyone starts taking it by the end of the year. This is obviously just thrown it out there, being quite, quite controversial. But my point is that if something like that were to happen, everything could go back to the way it was and all these flexible workspaces, which everyone thinks is this new innovative solution, might just fall away. So I think you need to be, you need to do what they call backcasting. You need to obviously look to the future and work your way back and see what extensions of innovations that will come out of that. And I think a lot of people just think are very got their blinkers on when it comes to thinking, okay, old office spaces is a, well, the old office space model is old and no one's going to go back to that. But you'd also be naive to think that it's going to completely change. So I think property funds should be reaching out to individuals and startups 
and understanding their dynamics of how they see the future of their organization. Because organizations that are renting will dictate how the landlords utilize their space effectively. Yeah, and that's a good point. Uh, like, what I want to ask you on what you just said is, do you think that we've gone too far now to say we must, we're going to go back to the way it was? Or do you think we've gone to a level where, okay, we might not go away from the exact way that it was done, but there is, people have accelerated their thinking, accelerated their capabilities. They've now seen that it's possible. So now to go back completely to the old model, it's now, this is the way. It's some way or another, things have changed for good. Even if, say, the vaccine is found tomorrow, like in your example. Yeah, what, what, what I think it's done is like what, what one of the positives I think COVID has done for organizations is that it's proved that people can have the flexibility to choose to work from home and choose to work in the office. So I think, yeah, I don't think things will go back to normal because I myself have the luxury now of working from home or choosing to enter go into the office where before I perhaps didn't have that, that luxury, right? So I think things will change for the better. But what you might also find is that a lot of organizations that do have, because I mean, for some large corporates, it's difficult for them to, to get out of their long-term lease with their, with their landlords now. So they might start looking at other ways to, so I, I know there's a company in South Africa that had, I think, a staff space of 300 people, but now maybe I think more than half the people are working from home. So now they have all this office space that they have to use because they, they're locked into this long-term agreement. So what they're looking to do now is to share that space with other companies. So put, put that space online or um, rent it out, whether it's flexible, whether it's going to be a full-time space. So what you might see is companies joining and sharing rental agreements now until there's a clearer picture of where the office space, um, I think, will, will, be, will, will be in the future. I, I think a lot of companies will collaborate and what you might get from that is companies doing work together just by nature of the office space that they're working in. Yeah, that, that's, um, that's a good point that I didn't think about is uh, the immediate impact of having a lease. You can't change too much. And obviously what you've just said is subject to the landlord allowing you to sublet. You know, In some cases, the landlord doesn't want you to sublet. But you know, it's also the, the point that if... if they're worried about getting the rent from a company that's already downsizing, they'd be a little bit ignorant to not allow them to sublet. And just for those guys listening um, to us, the, we are PropTech Talk. If you haven't been to our website, please visit us. It's www.proptechtalk.com. We have awesome articles. We have podcasts. We've also been published in the Asset Magazine where we are publishing an article every month. Uh, look out for our next one, which is on Amira. We have discussed in a PropTech talk, but it's a little bit of a different discussion in the Asset Magazine. So um, going back to the conversation on this flexible office space, it's definitely going to need a lot more conversations. We're going to write articles on this because there's a million different ways this can go. There's a million different outcomes that come out of this. I think those guys that are talking about it in a very simplistic form, if there's any guys talking about it in a simplistic form, have not given it, space, uh, given it time. Uh, to think about it, or they have ulterior motives, which is to make money out of it, which is one of the downsides to the shared economy and smart buildings, which is discussed in quite a few uh, research uh, journals.
one thing I do want to yeah. one thing I do want to add is that like we were speaking about the companies now um, these property funds or landlords having to now adjust the term the lease terms now to allow to allow companies to store rent and adjust or whatever the, the case is but it's like one of those things if the the contract side or the legality side is holding back innovation like things that with Airbnb and the likes of Uber what we've always seen is that the laws and the regulations are always two steps behind the innovation. So this is a prime example of how the regulations and the, 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 the term setting lease agreements will need to change now and keep up with the times. Because if they don't, they will, they will stifle their own opportunities to allow companies to come rent their spaces for different use. So I think it's important mm -hmm. that landlords now need to start looking and thinking, how do we believe that the industry is going to change? And how do we create an environment that will allow for new, a new, new form of tenants or a new character or genre of tenants, I would call, to come into our space and rent it out now? Because it's not going to be the same way you're going to have organizations renting a full floor in the office, in the office space. It's going to need to be shared or split up or mixed use, whatever it is. But I think that they need to start changing their lease agreements because if they don't, it's going to prohibit any of these changes to come in sooner. Yeah, and that's that's a great point, and it's something that needs to be discussed with this this journey that uh, the organisations are going to go on, is the little things along the way that add to the big picture. So, like you said, there's the lease agreement. If there's a, so, we'll call it the lease agreement, but it could be some other kind of agreement that comes to the fore. Yeah, like I said, membership. That's a WeWork model where you sign up for membership. You don't you don't not leasing the space. You are paying for your membership like a gym almost. Yeah. Um, then there is the technology side of things. So you, are you going to be investing in technology? Are you going to be licensing technology? Are you going to be using technology at all? And then on that side, and this primarily PropTech talk is about the PropTech and the innovation side of things. So let's get a little bit deeper into that. What kind of skills need to change in the organizations that need to enable these kind of things? So Let's look at it from a practical point of view. There's facilities managers that are running the show at the moment. When I say running the show, I mean managing the properties, right? Let's say, for example, this facility manager has very little understanding of technology. Um, is that a problem? Let's use a property manager. He has a very, or he, she has a very limited understanding of technology. Is that a problem? Do these people need to upskill in proportion to the organization going forward and investing in more prop tech, more technology, more innovation capabilities. And to me, it's a scale. It's as further along you go with technology and prop tech, your people need to be upskilled, not only because of the usage and the ability to manage, but also for the ability to understand and to see different opportunities. Someone who's using, who's seeing the product who's dealing with the customers is going to be the one to tell you that there's this opportunity or this opportunity you're discussing is not working uh, in a more of a bottom up structure. And then secondly, the more along the line you go with technology and prop tech, how much does that influence the organizations you're speaking to? So for example, you're speaking to an organization that just needs space to um, maybe warehousing, not a great example, but just for stock, right? 
where you're speaking to them on a very advanced level of technology and it's like i said that sliding scale will this not deter them will their employees not need to be more technologically inclined would they not need to have a better understanding of things uh, from a prop tech sphere and if they do again going back to the south african problem does that not further divide the bottom of the barrel from the top of the barrel yeah so talking about that reminds me of what peter Thiel said in his book zero to one and he he mentioned the 2008 recession of how companies had to adapt and i think now more than ever individuals within companies need to look at themselves and see how can i change my role within the organization and they're going to need to innovate themselves and the ones that cannot do that I feel or I fear for them that they will not be able to to keep up with the times and they'll fall behind and they've almost become redundant and add no no value into the organization. And the scary thing is, like you said, a lot of facilities managers that previously might not have been technically inclined or didn't have the need to be. And I don't think it's only restricted to them. I think it's anyone within the organization. And what you might find is a lot of organizations now that are working from home, they've had to improve their, their IT capabilities. And what I mean by that is having people working from home now introduces the risk of cybersecurity. And that falls on everyone's laps, regardless of where you fall within the organization. And I think everyone needs to um, um, upskill themselves, whether it's in their personal capacity or the organization doing webinars or having people come in to educate their staff, which I think is their responsibility. But I do believe that if you're not looking at ways in which you can add new set of value for your company, I think you are setting yourself up for failure because as we know, a lot of companies are looking at different ways to bring additional sources of revenue in or pivot. And if you're not able to pivot with the organization, they're going to question your ability to, to stay within the company when you get to the next step, the next step in the organization's journey. So I think a lot of people need to actually look at themselves and see if they are able to add value. And if they're not, they need to start upskilling them, upskilling themselves to keep up with this, cha this change that is imminent. Yeah. And going on that from a high level, from the executives, the question is, would a, an executive in the future company of property, especially if they're looking to invest, like a company like Amira, that's investing in innovation, would they need to know a little bit about coding? It, would that then become uh, a prerequisite for a future property director? Because, I mean, you've been involved in it, I've been involved in it. When you speak to a programmer, it just makes it easier if you understand his world and you're able to tell him about his world a little bit better you don't need to know how to code perfectly but to know a little bit and when he uses certain phrases that you understand what he's saying is that not the future and i know this is not exactly shared office space or uh, flexible office space but it is part of prop tech so is that not the future director need and skill or top level management yeah, I think you just you just made a very good point. I believe top level management, it is important for them to understand the technical aspects of their business. And it doesn't mean to say they need to be able to go sit there and code, but they need to be able to understand a conversation when they're talking to their developers or their IT, 
guys in order to hold them accountable. For me personally, I had to learn the back end for the, for the company, for Parker, just so I can, when I had a conversation with my de development guys, I actually can question them and apply timelines to things. Because I feel like if you're not knowledgeable enough, if you provided with a timeline for a project, you would almost accept it because you're actually not sure of how long it should take in theory. So I do believe that um, upper management needs to upskill themselves. Yes, I believe the, the CEOs and the directors of companies perhaps uh, need to know this, but by nature of their role, they've probably worked themselves through the ranks. However, I do think now more than ever, organizations as opposed to having uh, a, a CEO that is knowledgeable about the, the solely the, the technical aspects of the organization, they need to be a true leader. Because now more than ever, organizations need leadership to take them through this time. Because you must also keep in mind that as, as much as everyone's workspace and their work dynamics have changed, their social dynamics have changed as well. And if, a, if the, an organization has a leader that can steer them through the, the, these muddy waters, I think that is more valuable than a, a CEO that has technical know-how. Yes, it's valuable, but I think there's more to that. But I do believe that if a, a CEO of an organization doesn't have, understand his business from top to bottom, how do you, how do you look at ways in which you can innovate that business further? And that, that's what I would question. I don't believe that's the case, but who knows? Some organizations might have these instances where the CEO doesn't know anything about the business, which would be questionable. Yeah, and I think that's definitely a topic that we're going to explore on the articles on future podcasts is the level of leadership needed for the for this kind of uh, venture, for this journey, yeah. and the level of skills needed for the future of our CEOs in the industry. You know, the other thing that I just wanted to mention is knowing a little bit about the technical side of things will put you in better stead to make a decision of whether you're going to license, develop, or not follow a certain path you know there might be somebody who pitches to you this great idea and it you know it's often that prop tech and technology and that is a great idea but the practicalities of it the things that you can see beyond what you're being told will put you in better stead to make decisions and it shows like a lot of guys have invested in very bad um programs very bad prop tech programs and and um, apps and websites and how much is it attributed to naivety, um, wishful thinking, or desperation? But I think pursuing this and seeing what it would take for a future CEO, CFO, COO, and some organizations, CIO, um, to make better decisions uh, in this, uh, this very strange time that we're living in. And beyond that, and just looking past the COVID, I mean, this... This was going to come to the fore in any case in my mind, these questions. It's just been accelerated. Obviously, this is a frequent discussion that is, that's been talked about by many people in different industries. But it's something that needs to really come out. And I think people need to take responsibility for the future of the property industry um, in their roles, not just looking at other people and what can be done, but in their roles, as, like you've rightly said, as leaders, and steering the ship into a different direction. Yeah, I don't think there's a time more, more so than now where leadership has been put at the forefront and have been questioned. And I feel like a lot of organizations are looking towards their leaders for guidance. And 
I think it, it's definitely a tough job for, for a lot of CEOs, CFOs, but I think more than it being complex and tough, it's opportunity for them now to, to completely change the way organizations have, have been run. We, we're moving in, in, into a future now where no one actually knows what's gonna, what it's gonna be like, but it allows um, leaders now to shape it how they believe the future is gonna be. And you would hope that they're inept enough to understand that and to comprehend that because I've seen organizations now where leaders are failing their, their staff, people are not engaged, people are scared, and that impacts essentially, whether you like it or not, shared office spaces because companies will have staff wanting to work from home, people leaving organizations. There's so much, there's so much that, that this falls within. And I think it's perhaps a discussion for a podcast on its own, how the impact of leadership will um, have an influence on the property industry. Yeah, and I think also to look at it, how it has had an impact. Like how has it come through the ranks? Where is it now? How has it been led to where it is? And where is it going to go? So yeah, definitely that's another topic that we can look at. And on that note, I'd like anyone listening to this uh, podcast to please put forward suggestions from what we've discussed. If there's any specific organization that you think is got a great leader or great uh, path down this uh, shared economy, flexible, even smart building from the flexible uh, office space side of things, please let us know. We're happy to investigate and to see um, you know, a couple of interviews, a little bit of research, and to show you a couple of, um, of good examples, bad examples, and tie it together, hopefully, with a great way forward. Uh, also, again, please visit our website, www.proptechtalk.com. We'll be posting our podcast up on LinkedIn and on a whole bunch of other channels. And we would love to have some guests on board as well. We've already had one. We've got a couple lined up. And if you're in the flexible office space side of things and you have a different perspective or if you agree or whatever it is, we're happy to have you on board. So we've got a couple of, of threads running. We've got startup conversations. We've got prop tech in general. We've got real estate agents. We've got flexible office space now. And we're going to be talking about a couple more uh, topics going forward. So listen out to those threads that you enjoy and we'll keep posting and just keep listening and let us know. Let's grow this industry. Let's grow PropTech together. So from me, over and out, guys. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Catch you on the next episode.